0: Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Carly. And we're two of the hosts of The Cooler. Well, Jameter's seat is vacant, but we are filling it with a quadruple threat? Multi, I don't know. I would say. She's very talented. She is a writer, comedian, podcaster, viral Instagram sensation, and real artist with a day job. Sarah Benincasa, welcome.
1: Hello, I'm so
2: excited to be here. Thanks for joining us.
0: We have a lot of stuff on the agenda, but first and foremost, you've been breaking the internet recently with your amazing Instagram account called Excellent Coats on Irritated Women, which features. You got
1: it right. I did? A lot of people, even I sometimes mess it up, especially if I'm really tired. I'll be like, coats on chicks?
2: I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We, yes. we definitely wrote like eccentric coats earlier today. We were like, wait, they're excellent, <laughs> not eccentric. <laughs> They are. They're excellent coats
1: on irritated women, uh, inspired by the Bay Area's own Speaker Nancy Pelosi, actually. Yes,
0: that amazing boss photo of her putting on sunglasses after having uh-huh. a meeting in the Oval Office, and she basically roasted him in front of millions of people. She is
2: strutting out of that, and it's wonderful.
1: She is. A, she's wearing a Max Mara coat that they're reissuing this year in response to how popular <laughs> it was. Of course they are. I saw that coat and was tweeting about it and said something like, oh, what a great day for excellent coats on irritated women. And a few people tweeted at me and said, that should be a blog or that should be a thing. So I made it an Instagram account celebrating different excellent coats on different irritated women.
0: And we're seeing with women's rage, this emotion in women is so feared and like so stigmatized. You can't express those emotions. Like I'm reading Michelle Obama's book right now, and she was saying on the campaign trail in 2008, anytime her voice would go up in passion, people would say that she was shrill and Mm. she was angry. And she's like, I am fed up. Yeah. And I have my reasons, just like that male candidate over there is fed up. So looking at all the images on your Instagram, it's so good to see irritated women all also be fierce and be unapologetic about it so thanks yeah, for bringing I, I, that to the world
1: oh thank you and I, I purposely also will put up images of women activists who are smiling Because to me, the account is about celebrating women who share their righteous rage in public, their righteous anger and do good works as a result. But that doesn't mean that they're in a bad mood all the time. A lot of times it seems to me that they're taking a great deal of joy in the energy that they're putting into a cause that... Perhaps, you know, perhaps their motivation initially was was anger at injustice or deep sadness. And they have expressed that anger publicly and continue to. But that doesn't mean that they're all one thing all the time. I mean, Michelle Obama is a great example. Uh, certainly, she's over and over again been punished and criticized in the media, basically for being a powerful black woman, expressing anything other than smiling, basically, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. ever. But um she, you know, she is someone who has been able to express a variety of emotions in public due to the enormity of her platform. And I love that she talks about that in the book Becoming, because I think that she has experienced it as much or more than anyone else who gets out there as a, as a woman or woman identified person and, uh, and expresses displeasure with something. And I, it's nice to spotlight women who are having a good time while not being afraid to be considered unpleasant. But um, it's it's been a lot of fun, and it's also a chance for me to highlight causes that I care about. As we're speaking, we're in the week after the polar vortex, I was able to highlight some nonprofits that provide coats for people in cold areas around the country. And that was really cool. So it's it's fun. It's more than just a fashion account for sure.
2: It's like the good old Trojan horse as well of folks like seeing it and thinking, oh, it's just fashion. But then they're not aware it's actually a soapbox for multiple like sociopolitical issues.
1: Yeah, it's a spoonful of sugar helps the sociopolitical medicine go down, (laughs) so to speak. A sugary coat. Most of the women spotlighted so far are cisgender women, but I do make an effort to spotlight trans women as well as gender questioning people and and to repeatedly make the point, whether on the feed itself or in the Instagram stories, that a wide array of, of gender expression is welcome. And occasionally there is. A heterosexual cisgender man will we'll make it on through. How dare you? It's tokenism. It's tokenism, and I know it. But sometimes when they're doing a good job, I say to myself, you know what? Let's give that gentleman a high five.
0: <laughs> on this very podcast, we've only in our four years have had one cis white straight man on the show it's
2: true Chuck close to him
0: he said he was the reverse oh. Jackie Robinson
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, but, yeah. but what a cis heterosexual white man good job
0: sure you, gotta just
1: pick. you know if you're gonna pick them you gotta really you gotta really go for the the best of the best the cream of the crop if you will oh, yeah. yeah he
2: dressed his way right to the top <laughs> <laughs> he did he was like I have excellent coats and you were like alright good he swept good in. good <laughs> Um, something else we know you're working on is this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Where you From and it is
1: origin stories, geographic and otherwise. So I interview different actors and artists and humans of note about their hometown, but also how it influenced them and really where they're from geographically, but also culturally, politically, religion wise, spiritually, et cetera.
0: And your premiere episode had Ben Stiller because you're extra and you wanted to flex on all of us. You're like, yeah, it's a new podcast and I know Ben Stiller. Hello.
1: I was trying to figure out if I should lead with Ben, which I think is a great conundrum to have. Do I lead with Ben Stiller like, or oh, what? I just don't know. Oh, I don't know. Because I was you know, really excited about my other guests as well. and he, But he certainly is the best known of, of, of the guests from the first season. And so I was kind of wondering. And then somebody said, you open big, kid. Actually, they didn't say that. They said, you got to. <laughs> (laughs) big sarah and i said okay but in my head i heard it that way
0: so to flip the tables of your whole podcast concept on you where did you grow up and how do you think that place shaped the woman that you are today
1: i grew up in a small town in new jersey called flemington and flemington is the county seat of Hunterdon county i think it's the only county in the state of new jersey that consistently goes red in every general election. And I think they, they voted for Trump by something like a margin of 10% at least or something wow. like that. So it's it's rural. There are a lot of farms. There are a lot of guns. Uh, there's a lot of hunting. Growing up there as a progressive kid, a liberal kid, certainly as I mean, I, I was certainly a queer kid, but didn't know it. I knew it, but was try- really trying to, to to unqueer myself. But as a weirdo, as an artist, as a writer, it was actually a good place to grow up because right across the river in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, was the local gay mecca of New Hope, Pennsylvania, which has been a place where wealthy gays from philadelphia and new york have been buying 17th century canal row houses and opening shops for nigh on 40 years (laughs) and it was also the place where you went if you wanted to go to a punk show if you wanted to go to a hardcore show if you wanted to go to a drag show if you wanted to meet and mingle with a motorcycle gang like bucks county pa Mm -hmm. is so weird And where it's at, and Lambertville, New Jersey, on the Hunterdon County side as well. It was like Lambertville, New Jersey, is a little more low key. It's where the lesbians tend to populate, and then New Hope (laughs) is where the gays tend to populate. And as for gender questioning and trans people, it's really anybody's game. So I grew up next to this like these like twin like queer town meccas, and that was really cool. And also, I'm glad that I grew up in Hunterdon County because it gave me a greater understanding for and context for conservative white people who seem to cling to notions that don't actually serve them. And I think I would be really befuddled by that if I had grown up in some kind of liberal enclave, but I didn't. So I'm better able to understand the mindset and the justification for it while still you know, strongly disagreeing with it.
2: This is fascinating because as a Brit, you know, as an immigrant to this country, my, you know, you have these very generic impressions of the states and over New Jersey it's just the words Bruce Springsteen for me like oh, that's yeah. it so hearing something with a bit more nuance is very helpful thank you
1: <laughs> yeah you're welcome I you know, I love Springsteen so much and such a like you know the balladeer of the working man but he very amusingly parodies himself in his one man show where he points out that his dad was working class and his mom was working class but he's never he says I, I wrote all these songs about a working class men in factories and i've never had a day job and i've never had a job where i had to go in five days until now and i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) but uh he seems like a really cool person and should be my best friend it's a safe (laughs)
0: assumption that the premiere (laughs) episode of season two of your podcast is bruce Springsteen, right
2: I would Duh. be so happy. I would freak out. Like, really do us hardcore. a favor if you do get him, just pass him on to us, and we'll do the same to you if we manage to snag him first. This is a really good agreement. That the we Bruce have. Springsteen sharing him—it's like a timeshare in Bruce Springsteen, or it's like so an beautiful. open
0: relationship podcast style. Like, we yeah, share love our lovers. That. It is what it mm-hmm. is.
1: No questions I... asked adore him and think he's fantastic and he's i would like to interview him or if his wife patty who is a brilliant singer songwriter in her own right would like to do the show they are invited to <laughs> where you from
2: put it out <laughs> there into the universe
0: i know that another one of your fantasy guests on your podcast is dead landscape architect and bipolar genius frederick law olmstead <laughs> and oh, yeah. i just need to know why you crush on him so hard and you know well, why, why should i uh, crush on him <laughs>
1: Emmanuel, thank you so much for addressing this. Yeah. It's very important. <laughs> I was recently on a date with a gentleman caller in New York City's <laughs> Central Park. And I was gazing around and possibly ranting at length about the genius of Frederick Law Olmstead, who was an incredible individual, really brilliant, basically, though, kind of a dilettante until his late 20s when he really started to hit his stride. He was everything from... Uh, a sailor on a ship where everybody pretty much mutinied on the way back from China. Those no. were the times. Cap- <laughs> yeah, the captain was basically court-martialed because he was um, he was denying the crew food and was incredibly abusive. So he, Frederick Law Olmstead was like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be a sailor. He was from a relatively well-to-do family in Connecticut and lost his mom when I think he was only, he was under 10. He may actually have been like four years old and was really raised by his dad and stepmom. And he was eventually set up by his father to be a gentleman farmer but that was not enough for him and he was a great writer wrote some books and he was and uh became quite a strong abolitionist after the forerunner of the new york times sent him into the Antebellum South to go undercover and interview plantation owners and talk to slaves uh, where possible and document what he saw down there. So his like he he was sort of I would say he, he he leaned toward abolitionism before this assignment and then when he actually was sent down and and did the undercover work he came back a really strong abolitionist and actually during the Civil War he was in charge of dealing with the he ran essentially the Medical, uh, the medical division—I forget what what the department was actually called—for the Union Army and set up floating hospitals and ships. And listen, the man was <laughs> awesome, and he designed some great parks: the Emerald Necklace in Boston, um, mm-hmm. some parks in St. Louis, and in Chicago. The Campus of Stanford, although they kind of messed with him on that one, uh, and and a bunch of other places. I, like I could talk about him forever.
0: <laughs> so what you're saying is he's a woke bay.
1: Yeah, he <laughs> is absolutely and so troubled. He's a troubled woke bay. I mean, who who doesn't love a deeply troubled? I was going to say I gravitate
2: bae. very strongly towards that. And just looking at his you know photographs now, these these early photographs, he's got a real like, young Edgar Allan Poe thing going on in his early mm-hmm. years. And then he j- basically slides into, like, a Charles Darwin, Ooh. big beard. Okay. Like you could get lost in that Yeah, it's a real beard. sexy
1: Galapagos experience it's kind of feel giant. with that beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like Edgar Allan Poe, but he, like, didn't die of alcoholism in a gutter. And, you know, didn't really hang out that much in Baltimore. But other than that, <laughs> other kind <than laughs> of looks like him.
0: And he's, he's like Walt cute. Whitman with the beard, but not gay. Oh yeah, he
1: was hella straight, which is something that I'm okay with because it means that we would probably be together (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I, but then if he was with me today, I would just be like, let's go to the psychiatrist together. Do you want to come to a meeting? Do you want to get Reiki done? Do you, like, (laughs) what would make you feel good? We can debate Reiki and whether it's weirdly appropriative and also not real, but it's fine. Do you want to stretch? Let's go to yoga. Again, we can debate that. And he would probably Die of boredom, but, and you could um, take romantic
2: love. walks in a park that he had designed. Would oh, be so.
1: If he was a narcissist at all, that he would really like that. And I don't know because we haven't dated yet.
2: His ghost has not asked <laughs> me know, out yet. The word "yet" is in there. <laughs> if his
1: ghost asked me out, I would for sure. Be like, bye, everybody else who's interested in me. All
2: tens of thousands of you. <laughs> tens of thousands of ghosts.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so many ghosts. No, I would fully date his ghost. He would be so nice. Oh, you guys, I love him.
0: Anna Nicole Smith, R.I.P., right. Right. famously said that a ghost humped her leg while she was sleeping. So there is hope.
1: <gasps> that was such a good segue. I didn't know where you were going, but I was going to <laughs> space for it. I was like, yes, and improv rules. Mm-hmm. I love that. Oh, my God, I'm so jealous. If Frederick Law Olmsted's ghost humped my leg or gave me a valentine or really anything, I would marry him. I don't know how it would work, but it would be pretty great. He was so dreamy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is really random. You wrote a book about artists having day jobs, and there's so much that we could talk about there. We need, like, hours more to unpack that. But the headline for me was, Sarah, Jeremy Renner used to be a makeup artist? (laughs) Allegedly, this is accurate. Allegedly. This this is what the
1: internet told me. Is it actually true? I don't know. Should my publisher have fact-checked that? Probably. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's true. It was. I wrote a, a an essay called Real Artists Have Day Jobs for Medium, uh, where I blog sometimes. And that went sort of baby viral. And off the back of that, I got this book deal, which I guess was Real Artists Have Day Jobs was my fourth book book, I think. Wow. Um, yes, it was my fourth book. Humble Brad. Um, oh, there's nothing humble. About it. <laughs> was it my fourth or my fifth? I just can't remember. I don't know. I don't know. It's complicated. And I'm sitting atop a pile of money right now <laughs> in this studio. I'm super rich now, you guys, which is why I still have a day job. But uh, yeah, so it's called Real Artists Have Day Jobs, and it, it was the most fun of, of all the books to write, definitely, because it was just real things that I actually think and hope are of value to others.
0: And it shares the idea that, you know, Jeremy Renner could have been a makeup artist, but the feelings of being an actor were always in him. Polkai was within him. (laughs) Yes. And like Maya Angelou was a cable car conductor and she was a writer the whole time. So like just because some of us need day jobs to fund the art that we make doesn't mean that we're any less of an artist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you want it to be, your art is your full-time job because you are an artist full-time. That is not just something that happens when you sit down before the easel or whatever you do, sit in front of the computer where you're making some sort of really wacky animation that nobody wants to buy right now, or writing poetry that nobody's reading right now. Like it's That's not when you go to work. You are an artist 24 seven, if you choose to assume that mantle. And so that means that's your job and so your day job is your day job now you may be fortunate enough to find a day job that you actually enjoy which is awesome and that can feed your soul your mind your pocketbook your kids (laughs) in different ways than your art does so it's not it doesn't at all say oh your art is more important than your day job you you get to be an artist whether or not you ever make a dime off that art as long as you're creating art you're an artist
0: boom listen to that people right so another book that You wrote is Agora Fabulous, which is about living with agoraphobia and panic attacks. And for those who aren't familiar with agoraphobia, could you talk about what it's like living with that and how you made it agoraphabulous?
1: Looking back now, because I still... I have agoraphobia. I think that's something that's within me the same way that that depression is within me and panic attacks are within me. And and those different things do flare up now and again. But I've been properly medicated for years and... Certainly working with mindfulness meditation for years has been incredibly helpful. Getting sober almost eight months ago has been even more helpful in different ways and also sometimes anxiety producing, but in a good way, ultimately. um, So I've, I've made better nutrition choices, different things that have influenced my mental health positively and hopefully my behavior. But looking back at the times when I've been in crisis with agoraphobia, I think that what sustained me was hearing stories. In fact, I know, I don't know why I said I think I know that what sustained me was hearing stories from people who had gotten through it, because that gave me the belief that it was possible, even if I did not 100% think it was possible for me. I knew that it was possible for some people. And I also know that I'm not magical. So, (laughs) and, and so, you know, I'm an individual, but I'm a human being with many, many things in common with other people. So, if there are things that have worked for other people, like taking walks and eating less sugar and cutting down on caffeine and finding, you know, for me, it's Prozac. For some people, it's other things. If, if these different things can work for other people, like maybe I'm not so special that they would be imp- I'm, my brain is impenetrable or something. Probably I could figure out, as my mom says, your own recipe. So I learned, I guess, from suffering pretty badly with that and being housebound for a time when I was younger, that you really have to enjoy the good times and savor the good times. And some of the good times are I was driving in my vehicle on the way over to NPR West today to sit down and record with you guys, and I was annoyed that the sun was in my face, but then I was really happy that I had remembered my sunglasses and that there was a delightful Ariana Grande song on the (laughs) Top 40 radio station to which I was listening. Like, you just got to take pleasure in little things and little moments and that in and of itself can be fabulous. And also I think that because I came so close to shuffling off this mortal coil of my own accord on various occasions over the course of my life, I feel that it has given me a greater appetite for risk taking in a positive sense. So I think that when you're struggling with mental illness and mental health issues it is possible to still be fabulous whatever that means to you
0: so essentially panic attack and anxiety thank you next but you're not needed here and we're moving on (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a big thank you next. And sometimes they still come back and you're like, oh, I said thank you next. <laughs> and then you just don't beat yourself up for them recurring. You know, I think that's part of it, too, is that you understand that you, you may I, I I may have to always live with these things. I may not. But my life got a lot better when I'm 38 years old now. So w- when I was in my early 20s, I Spent so much time in my teens, my 20s, hoping they would just go away forever. And that proved to not be true. So now that I have a bit more wisdom with time, I can accept that they may still show up. And that's not a personal failing. And I can just enjoy the good times while they're here and do my best to minimize those tough breakthrough moments.
0: Well, speaking of enjoying the good times, we're about to enjoy a segment we like to call Peek in the Pit. <laughs> if, if you want to <laughs> stay on board with us to talk about the highs and the lows of pop culture this week, are you down?
1: I'm so down. Yes.
0: It's the big and the, big the pick. Pick. hey. The, the big and the hey. Who
2: has something like burning in their spirit? I have something that's so burning because I know it also burns within you, Emmanuel. Oh,
0: and, Lord.
2: And Sarah. <laughs> I, I know that this man and his gigantic California belly tattoo burn within you too. <laughs> we have to talk about the Super Bowl and Maroon 5. And I don't want to come down on either side about whether it's a peak or a pit because there are many Maroon 5 stands out there who will break in and try and hurt us. And the thing is, we know that you are an Adam Levine fan. What do you
1: have? To oh say yeah, for yourself, I would have a, I would have a lot of consensual sex with him. <laughs> um, meaning, if he were to consent, my consent is pretty much guaranteed. But um, if he would consent with that, that's really exciting. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but I was fine. I understand that that Super Bowl should have been. Colin Kaepernick doing a duet with Janet Jackson like mm-hmm. that's yes. what that's what my ideal image of what that halftime show was as for what it actually was I, I didn't see it I just saw images of Adam Levine and people were like this is gross and weird why is he doing a striptease I don't like it and I get it right I get it <laughs> but I also have very strong sexual feelings for him so it's a really complicated day for me and my loins. <laughs>
0: You say you're, quote, fine with it, but you also said on Twitter, quote, I'd for sure make out with Adam Levine and all 85 of his memento ass tattoos.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it does look like he's trying to tell us a story of trauma. I'll tell Mm -hmm. you that much.
2: (laughs) He's just like his apartment is strewn with Polaroids. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on. Carrie Ann Moss is involved and I don't know how to pronounce Guy Pearcy's last name or if he's Australian or what. But like Adam Levine is an integral part of some kind of mystery and his torso <laughs> will solve it. But I would also solve it with my face in the vicinity of his
2: torso. John G. Right. He's gotta find John G. It's so true.
1: <laughs> I know it's like such an uncommon, like this has been a week of white people volunteering info for which we did not ask. Hashtag Liam Neeson. Which brings me Governor to. Virginia. <laughs> so I just want to apologize. But like, oh, Adam. okay. Yeah. Go which, ahead, Amanda. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: It, that brings me directly to my pit of the week, which is for said white person, Liam Neeson, oh, who oh, decided God. allegedly 40 years after the incident to, Divulge to The Independent, some venerable UK publication. It's an organ. (laughs) Okay. He said the following about finding out that his friend was raped and then asking her if the man was black. And upon receiving the knowledge that this person was black, Leon Neeson says the following.
2: I have an up and down areas with a
1: kosh hoping I'd be uh, approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him.
0: The fact that he thought it was appropriate, on the record, to have such a racist anecdote and think he could get away with it in promoting his movie, like it would inspire us to go see a movie about revenge, knowing this about him, is wild. Like, the fact that people think they can be casually racist like that is insane.
2: The wildest thing about that for me is that he doesn't know what that story is about. He thinks he's telling a story about, like, the primal urge for revenge that lurks inside us all so that he can promote his, like, shitty, like, Death Wish off movie. Right. He genuinely thinks that's what the anecdote is about, which is nuts and terrifying. Okay, so in the context of this anecdote, he's sharing that he's
1: quite ashamed of this. So why is he sharing it with us? Is Uh this some sort of confessional thing? I mean, the reason I thought about it more than just, well, that's friggin racist and weird and terrible is the fact that he says that he's, he's ashamed to say it. I'm going to myself, okay. So is this an unburdening? And was it necessary? Like you absolutely if if this is something of which you're ashamed that you did, um, you could talk to a therapist or you could tell your friend or you could, you know, whatever, not looking to be absolved, but just to talk it out and figure it out. But why are you sharing this in the context of I'm assuming a press junket? I don't know. And also, couldn't you have told that story if you needed to tell a personal anecdote about vengeance to promote your movie couldn't you have
2: said like left out the race aspect i just have a lot of questions so many and like not to play the self-loathing brit as well but this makes me so worried for the united kingdom and like where we are headed and where we are at as a nation because the way I've heard this story, well, originally reported, The Independent is a British newspaper, and if you read the journalists, like, she's saying, like, oh, obviously what Liam Neeson is saying is disturbing, but, you know, you can kind of give him a pass. Like, that's very troubling. And I heard this discussed on the BBC Radio today, and they didn't even mention the race elements. Oh oh, they were talking about of the urge for revenge. Huh? And I was like, this country's screwed
0: brexit and now liam neeson you can't win
1: (laughs) it's real weird i get wanting to take vengeance upon those who would hurt somebody you love but you should know who that specific person is because there are a lot of people with uh, one particular skin color in this world so what i'm saying is listening to it and reading it i'm like this is a very troubled individual and also maybe he didn't need to share this and what the hell is going on right now and then i just drank a lot of water because i'm sober and
2: that's all i can do (laughs) if people uh if this is sticking in their minds and they just don't know what to do with it, I will say that Gary Young's take in The Guardian is the, I mean, you can't even call something the best on this topic, but um, Gary Young is a phenomenal writer and I recommend that everyone go and seek out what he has written in The Guardian about Liam Neeson because it deserves well, I'll to be read by say- everyone
1: that the Guardian endorsed excellent coats on irritated women. Oh, yeah. So clearly, it's a superior <laughs> news outlet when it comes Manchester to hot Guardian. takes. That <laughs> <Thank> is
0: called <laughs> taste. Good taste. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: So let's just leave Liam Neeson to the side for now mm-hmm. and find <sighs> oh, our peak of the week. And I think, Sarah, you and I have the same person in mind for different reasons. Ooh! How about <laughs> you go first? <laughs>
1: Okay. So I love this. My peak of the week was Cardi B's purple rainbow mermaid hair as highlighted on Excellent Coats on Irritated Women, but also everywhere. I mean, she is really giving. Now she's also wearing um, a lavender fur coat in the shot that I'm talking about. I, I don't know if it's faux or real. I'm leaning towards real. I try Only to, you know, uh, pump up like vintage fur because it's already there. So who the hell cares? You know, sorry, PETA. I'm on your mailing list. I do donate and I know this is hard. God, I hope angry (laughs) vegans from the Bay Area email me as if they don't already. But the point is this. I'm going to pretend it's faux fur because I feel better that way. And she looks friggin' fantastic. Thank you.
0: Loved your TED Talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're glad we came to it. (laughs) Did you like my PowerPoint? It was just yes. one picture of Cardi B. I like it was the one way... point.
2: Just, just that. I like the way the first slide took a minute to load. <laughs> it
1: really did. <laughs> Look, it wasn't a great TED Talk, but it was very heartfelt.
0: Yes. So another reason to love Cardi B this week is we've talked about this on the show before. Y'all might remember Tommy Laren or whatever her name is, oh, that conservative that commentator <laughs> said, looks like. Cardi B is the latest genius political mind to endorse the Democrats. Ha, keep it up, guys. Hashtag MAGA 2020. To which Cardi B said, leave me alone. I will dog walk you. (laughs) So we thought that was the end of that. But no, no. Oh, no. There is a part two. This is a sequel I do want. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. Tommy, Tommy, whatever her name is. I refuse to learn it.
2: She probably wouldn't yeah. learn how to pronounce anyone else's names correctly. Yes. So don't yeah. even do it for her.
0: She says about the whole deportation of 21 Savage.
2: Mm-hmm. Or I guess
0: he's not deported, but he is detained by ICE because he's a secret Brit. Secret Brit. Tommy says, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight ICE agents ready to deport ya." I think she's like playing on one of his lyrics or something Mm. and making fun of his situation. To which Cardi B says, don't make me get my leash. (laughs) (laughs) And if, if you think that that actually put Tommy in her place, finally, you would be right. Because she went on Twitter after that and responded... Here's something maybe we can agree on, Cardi. Our immigration system is broken. We need to keep our country safe while also making sure people who work hard don't leech off the system and are able to legally immigrate here. I'm a fan of 21 Savage, and I'm a fan of yours.
2: Oh, oh my God. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) We can see the sweat beating on her forehead.
0: So, checkmate. Cardi wins. Mm -hmm. We knew that's how it would be. And now... Tommy is attacking Nicki Minaj, the second tier oh, God. hip-hopstress of our time. Well, so, that's
1: just really hard because somebody's going to get a shoe thrown at some point, and yeah. it's just going to be a lot of darkness. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult emotionally for everyone. Yeah.
0: As long as Liam Neeson doesn't show up, I think we're good.
1: Oh, yes. We don't want I anyone just in. Jo- uh, it's upsetting when somebody so talented does something. I mean, but he also was like one time on The Daily Show telling Jon Stewart about how he was okay with carriages in Central Park not the same thing but I remember being like I don't know that's a weird take on something bizarre and then he just keeps on coming with the bad takes on weird stuff no one asked for
2: yeah he also called me to a witch hunt I believe yes he did. Mm. I'm done yeah. what are you hiding
1: honey that's my question <laughs>
0: he's cancelled mm-hmm. so we Mm-mm. end <laughs> so sorry <laughs> I loved that <laughs> So we end every episode with a song and the honor is yours because you are our guest. So have at it. it. What are you listening to that you just love right now?
1: I'm listening to Liam Neeson's Acoustic Ballads album. It's really offensive. Um, <laughs> His Tim Buckley covers album. <laughs> yeah, it's really wild and weird. Um, uh, no, I uh, I love, I really recommend the video for this. And also it is Black History Month. And this is a very, very powerful video. It's a wonderful song. It's uh, This Land by Gary Clark Jr.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks for making time to be on our show.
1: Yeah, thank you what an honor thank you so much I'm excited when I'm in the Bay Area next let's go eat food together and be friends and I will buy the food and then I'll write it off as a business expense oh
2: god that sounds good yes yes just yes <laughs> and we <laughs> have cheap taste
0: <laughs> I'll buy the LaCroix <laughs> oh thank you thanks so much we love you
2: thanks Sarah love you too bye. bye bye paranoid and pissed off now that I got the money 50 acres and a modeling. A. Right in the middle of Trump country. I told you there goes a neighborhood.
0: Thanks to Sarah Benincasa, obviously, for making this episode magical. Also, thanks to David Marcus, Susie Racho, and Ashley Ann Craigbaum. If you miss us, find us on social media. I'm Excuse My Beauty.
2: I'm at Teacup in the Bay, and Jamidra is at Jameter Says.
0: And she's currently at her other job, which is why she's <laughs> not here. <laughs> Don't you want to make our hotline bling? Well, if you do, and you have a question or an idea for a topic that we haven't covered yet, call us at 415
1: 553 2850. Bye.